Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, hello, hello. I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Today, we get to travel to a few exotic destinations with the help of my guest, Susan Corbett. Susan is a writer, community organizer, and consultant in program management, microenterprise development, family planning, and HIV-AIDS education. Uh, She began her community development career in 1976 as a Peace Corps volunteer working in a health clinic in Liberia, West Africa. And later she joined Save the Children Federation as a program coordinator. In 1982, Susan returned to the States where she has worked with local nonprofits in drug and alcohol prevention for runaway youth, family planning, homelessness prevention, and immigrant issues. Susan has traveled to over 40 countries in Europe, Africa, Asia, and the Pacific and Caribbean and Central and North America and has lived and worked in 10 African countries over the past 30 years. A most exciting life indeed. I'm happy to have her with me today and welcome her to the show. Susan, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Wonderfully well. Wonderfully well. I tell everybody as long as I open my eyes, everything else is minor. (laughs) So, Susan, I want to, uh, was on your website and I see that you started out your career in community development in 1976, but I'd like to spend some time getting to know who Susan was before 1976. So, um, what, what would you call your hometown or, or where were you born? I was born and raised in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Oh, exciting place, right? Yeah. So I, <laughs> I grew up in an agricultural community. Um, my father was a, a local doctor. Okay. My father's side of the family was Mormon. My mother's side of the family was Catholic. So mm. I, I grew up in an interesting situation. Oh, yes. Mormons and Catholics. So, well, okay, let me tackle this first. How did, was uh, the, the Mormon lifestyle, did that influence you any growing up? Or was that a part of your life? Well, you know, Mormons and Catholics aren't that different in that family is very important. So I grew up in a community that was very welcoming. Family was the most important thing, and we spent a lot of. T- I spent a lot of time in both the, the Catholic and the Mormon churches. Okay. So and a lot of a lot of time with extended family. I had aunts and uncles in a, a local farming community where my great grandfather had homesteaded. Okay. So long history uh, up there. Awesome. So are there more uh, of you brothers and sisters floating around, or was it just you? I, I was the youngest of three, so I have an older sister and an older brother. Okay. Now, um, the agricultural lifestyle and, and the, the open range and the farming, um, did that spark the interest in volunteering, or at an early age were you in the community doing things? You know, not really. I think it was I was more interested in having an adventure when okay. I joined the Peace Corps, and I knew that to do that, I'd have to volunteer, and that was my first experience actually volunteering. Growing okay. up, you know, I, I had worked in a local coffee shop, and uh, so, no, I would say volunteering really came to me when I joined the Peace Corps. Okay, so the Peace Corps for you, was that um, like right out of high school, before college, or how did that fit in your timeline? And that was the, I, I went to school for four years, got my degree, and then I went, I moved to Seattle and worked in a hospital for a year, and was just not happy. I, I really wanted to 
see the world and discover different places. So that that's what made me decide to join the Peace Corps. Okay. So uh, let me ask you this. Um, you were in Idaho. You decided, where did you go to college at? I went to college in East L.A. So I was at the Claremont <laughs> College at Scripps College. Okay. And one of the big things that, that, that sparked my interest in travel is I spent my junior year abroad studying in Paris. And while okay. I was that year in Paris, we traveled to Morocco, we traveled to Spain, I traveled to Greece. So that really got me excited about the world and traveling, and that's really what set me back. Okay, yeah, I, I always tell people, once you get that, that first taste of travel, it's just it just sets you yeah. on your way. <laughs> There's yeah, nothing like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of a big jump for, you know, the girl in high school in Idaho to say, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to go to East L.A. to go to college. I mean, how, how does that happen? Well, you know, my dad kind of started it all. My, my great-great-grandparents pushed wooden carts across the plains with Brigham Young. So I think in my in my family history, there's a lot of itchy feet, blood, you know, get up and get out and go see the world. My father grew up in a farming community. He was one of nine kids, and he was the only one who left, who decided he didn't want to be a rancher or a farmer. He wanted to be a doctor. So okay. he went to Philadelphia and went to medical school. So I was just doing what my ancestors had done. Okay. You know, okay. So I decided, shoot, let's go to Southern California. Let's let me get out of here for a while. And and Southern California is awesome and amazing, if I must say so myself. So yeah. <laughs> so how much time uh, did you you did four years in um, L.A. and then decided to to go internationally? Well, four. Well, one, the, the third year was of course in Europe. Then uh, a year in Seattle, Washington, where my sister lives, and then yeah. Then I went international, went straight to Africa, and it was my first time out of the country. Okay. Other than so how, how did you get introduced to the Peace Corps? Hmm. I must have heard about it in high school and college. You know, I, I everybody kind of heard about it back then. I was probably 10 years old when the first Peace Corps volunteers went over in 1963. So that was a big deal, you know, on the news. Mm-hmm. So we had heard about them a lot more back then, and I knew that it was an opportunity to actually go and live and work in a country okay. with the Peace Corps and be well, you know, well taken care of. You're, you're oh. well taken care of by the government when you're in the Peace Corps. Oh. So my parents that thought that was safe enough for me. So I, I was just they weren't, thinking. They weren't thrilled, but <laughs> I was I was wondering. I, Mom and Dad were like, okay, you know, yes, you know, but I'm pretty sure they were a little stressed about the whole concept yeah especially my dad he said you'll go over there and get something you'll never get rid of and that was partially true but (laughs) okay Okay, we're gonna get into that but um so you know i'm pretty sure you know you go down there and say i'm gonna do this peace corps thing and you were kind of like wide-eyed and optimistic and had all these fantasies so what was the reality versus what susan thought the peace corps was going to be like well That's why I wrote In the Belly of the Elephant, the the book that I have written about my time in Africa, was I got over there, and, you know, we were all raised, and I was raised, I was born right after World War II, not not long after World War II, where, you know, you you see movies of soldiers handing out chocolates, and you grow up believing that the whole world really loves America and Americans. Mm -hmm. So I went over there thinking I was going to be embraced and loved unconditionally and and in Liberia Peace Corps was very well respected and people did 
take very good care of us. And the village, I lived in a very small village up in the bush, and and my village took wonderful care of me. I mean, they thought, they didn't understand me. They never really could figure out why these young people were out in their villages in the middle of nowhere doing this, but they, they accepted us. And once I started traveling and working in other countries, and I really did discover that there was a lot of questions about what America was doing overseas, and I mm-hmm. did run into some anti-Americanism, and, and it was a real eye-opener. Mm-hmm. Yes. Not to mention yeah. the change of, of lifestyle, you know, and just how poor people are yeah, yeah. in this country. I'm, I'm assuming a lot of the conveniences that you took for granted uh, in the United States, you know, just going to the bathroom or, you know, uh, transportation, oh, yeah. you know, you just, just, you know, like, wait a minute now, yeah. hold on a second, I have to, I have to adjust here. Like, you want me to go to the bathroom where? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I mean, every creepy crawly and every disease under the sun lives, it lives and grows in Liberia, and I was in a cement block house with a, a tin roof. And, an, uh, you know, a hole-in-the-ground outhouse, no running water, no electricity. So I learned to, you know, clean kerosene lamps. And mm-hmm. I had students who helped me, you know, get my water. And you had to learn how to filter and boil. And, and really, for the first time in my life, I figured out where things really came from and how oh. to take care of myself. Awesome, awesome. Now, what what actually did you do when you went over there? What was your job description, or what what did you yeah. volunteer doing? I was a health volunteer, so I worked in the local clinic, which was an under-five clinic. So there was a physician's assistant there who was Liberian, and I worked with him, and I did the health, the, the nutrition talk for the mother and child clinic, under-five, and I worked with the, the guy there who was named James, was the janitor, and he was my translator. So the, I lived with the Pele tribe, mm-hmm. and they spoke their language, so he would translate everything. And then I, I just helped. I helped give vaccinations. I helped deliver babies. I just mm. did whatever needed to be done. And then I also taught uh, sex education in the local um, middle school and high school, and it was the best attended class in the whole school. <laughs> oh, okay. Now, just out of curiosity, because I'm I'm unfamiliar with how the Peace Corps works, um, do they did they provide you with training before you came over there, or was that you got that from your college experience? They do provide training. The first uh, two two to three months that you're in country, you have very intense language training and training for what you're going to be doing in your job. Okay. So that first stint over there in Liberia, how long were you there for? I was there for two and a half years. Okay, okay. So you were just tired or the... the well, I no, I was hooked. I mean, I decided to come back. I then came back and went to um, the School for International Training, which is now World Learning in Vermont, and got my master's in um, nonprofit management and went back with Save the Children as an intern to Burkina Faso. Oh, okay. okay. And spent another two and a half years with Save the Children in Burkina Faso, which, you know, is more southern Sahara desert. So it was a very yeah. different experience from Liberia. Okay. So what did you do when you were over there? Did you do the same type of work? No, I, I went back, and that's where I was working with um, cooperatives, women's and men's cooperatives, to um, develop. They, they, have, they, they weave blankets there as a local art, and they sell them. 
and typically the fa- the husbands would have to leave the country to go and buy the thread in order to make the the, the blankets. So all the money was going out of the country, and the women and the families were left alone like six months out of the year. So okay. we worked with the local um, artisans to bring thread into the country so that they could stay home, sell their blankets, keep their money at home and within the country, and was sort of so it was local economic development. But I was working with staff from Burkina Faso. Okay. We okay. So I guess it's training them in in you know program management and. Okay, so I, I guess it's it's similar to this this concept that we hear today, social interp- enterprise. It's kind of popular um, today. Right, right. Okay, exactly. awesome. Yeah. So, so um, I read in the that was a Muslim village in Liberia. I was living with a combination of animism and and, and Christianity and and Islam, but in Burkina Faso, Burkina Faso, it was 100% Muslim, which was really interesting. You know, and I'm just imagining because I'm I'm. Listening to the dates, you know, 1976, like, you know, and I'm thinking about today, you know, where we travel to these places and I've still got my little cell phone with my, you know, internet connection and, you know, all this stuff. But you were completely disconnected when you went to these places. There was no, <laughs> you know, I can, That's you know, right. just Skype, I can Skype with mom and dad, you know, and they can still no, see, no. you know, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, my poor parents, they really, I, they only got letters from me and it would, it was like a six week turnover for a letter to go and then a response to come back. There were wow. telephones if you had to call, but that was very difficult to do. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I was that, off the that, grid. that was Please really, know. really off the grid there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Amazing. That is, that is truly a test of courage there. Uh, Susan, it is time for the very first commercial break. Stay with me. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, hello, and welcome back. Like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and this is Don't Box Me In. Today, I am hanging out with uh, Susan Corbett. She's the author of the book, In the Belly of the Elephant. And before we went to commercial, she was uh, telling about uh, telling us about uh, some of her travel experience. Now, I want to say, Susan, I, I read some of uh, the little blurbs on the book, and one of the things that you said uh, was that you took off to these travels trying to run away from home and to find a good man. How does that all play out? Why were you thinking that? Oh, boy, that's a, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, wow. Um, well, I wanted a career. You know, I okay. really wanted a career. And I got over there, and um, I was 26 when I, when I left the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess I just assumed that while I was, and I had left my my high school, my my college sweetheart Steve back home. Mm-hmm. Um, he we had lived together in Seattle before I left, but I just wasn't ready to get married. You know, I wanted to have a career, so I kind of broke the poor guy's heart and I left. And uh, he actually came to Liberia and visited me for a month, thinking he might join the Peace Corps. But the poor guy lost 60 pounds and, and kind of decided it wasn't for him and <laughs> came home. <laughs> He's from San Diego, by the way. He's from Southern okay. California. Cool. So um, while I was there, I kind of just assumed I would meet, you know, the man of my dreams, which doesn't always, timing isn't, isn't, isn't always what you want it to be. Yes, I do. So um, I really, um, I had a few affairs, I could say, you know, while I was there, <laughs> which is an interesting part of my book. It is, it is a story of what I was, you know, looking for love 
mm-hmm. um, wh- while trying to to have a career, and also knowing that at some point I did want family and I did want children. Um, so, at the end of of my time in Burkina Faso, I decided it was time to come home. And I did come home and call up my old boyfriend Steve at. Well, actually, I called a friend of his to make sure he hadn't gotten married while I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> and lucky for me, he hadn't. And over the next two years, we, we met up at different pla- various places, and we got back together, and we got married in 1986. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, you know, after we, knowing each other for, what, 20, we met when we were 18. We got married when we were 32. So you do the math. It took us a okay. while, but we finally figured it out. So I'm, I'm assuming that uh, Steve is like, okay, Susan, we're not going to do this international thing anymore. So, oh no, in fact, <laughs> we're still we've been married for 30 years now, and um, my husband just finished with his work. He decided to retire, and we have joined the Peace Corps again. Awesome! So you we guys have passport and and all that stuff, and ready to go. Oh yeah, we've got the passports, and we were we're heading to the South Pacific to the, the islands of Tonga in okay. August. Okay, how long will you guys be over there? Well, two years. It's a two-year commitment. We'll be teaching English. Awesome. So he's like, okay, yeah. this is not going to be the, like the first situation where I lost the sixty pounds trying to chase <laughs> around, you know, loving, <laughs> well, loving you. Know, you. Like he said, this time it's going to be a lot easier. We'll have we, we have two boys now. We'll be able to Skype them. And parents, you know, once a week, it's not like we will be off the grid the way I was in Africa. It'll be a very different experience. I'm hoping we'll have running water and electricity, which I think we will. (laughs) And so it's, you know, this time it's going to be a breeze, but it'll be another adventure, and that's what we're very excited about. I love it. You know, once once you get the bug, it never goes away. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just, you know, I'm I'm a, a military uh, child, so I grew up all over the place. And, you know, people are always, you know, Lana, how come you just can't sit still? How come, you know, just, I said, I don't know. It's just something once you get that first taste, you just have to go and see what's out there. You're never really, you know, your palate is never really satisfied. You just, what's out there? Right. What's over there? What do they do here? And I think it really brings a certain appreciation. You know, like you were saying earlier, you know, you realize going over there, you assume that everybody loves America, but when you get over over there, you're like, there's some people out there that really don't too much care for us. And it's a very right. humbling experience, you know, because, you know, we walk around very cocky and conceited thinking, you know, America's so awesome and amazing. But, you right. know, um, to be hit with that in the face, like, no, 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 you're not. No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the thing that I really did learn, though, is is we would be sitting and talking to soldiers. In, like in Burkina Faso, we would, we would, after work, we would go to the local bar and we would sit and have a beer with the local soldiers. And we would talk politics, and they would tell us why they felt the United States shouldn't be involved in South. This is back when we were involved in South Africa when there was still apartheid. Mm-hmm. And But at the end of all those conversations, they would always say, you know, we may not like your government, but we really like you. Mm-hmm. So it was, they, they never took it out on us personally, but it gave me the opportunity to really learn what it means to be an American, and it made me appreciate being an American, but also to understand how important it is to be a global citizen as well yes. as an American. And that's what I think I brought home with me that was okay. the biggest message. Okay, awesome. So um, 
back to your your roaming around Africa and stuff. There, there's some more countries in there that we've left out before you came to the United States. So let me see if I can allow you to put like a little quick timeline. And after you went to um, what was the last destination after uh, Liberia? What was that one? Oh, uh, that was Burkina Faso. Okay, so where did you go after North- that? Well, after Burkina Faso, I came home and okay. um, got married. But then I went back with, well, with Save the Children. I worked with Save the Children out of, from Connecticut for a year and went back to Mali, all of the countries of West Africa. I went to the Indian Ocean. And then in my later years, after I'd had my kids, I decided I wanted to go back. So I consulted with Freedom from Hunger, which works with um, microenterprise with women. Mm-hmm. And I did AIDS education in Uganda, Tanzania. I went back to Mali again. So I've, I've been back and forth all the way up until 2000, but I haven't been back to Africa since 2000. Okay. So were you pregnant, uh, traveling around the country? Was I, I'm sorry, say, say again? Were you pregnant and traveling around the country? I still didn't quite understand that question. I'm sorry. Oh, you're fine. Can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, okay. I was wondering, were you pregnant with your sons and traveling oh, around? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so, like, no. My, kids were like, my kids were six and ten when I went back to Africa, and I only went back for like two and three weeks stints at a time. Okay, okay. So, uh, I was just yeah, wondering, I like... Leave, you know, said, oh, no, no. Well, you know, in, in, my, in my book, In the Belly of the Elephant, one of the probably the saddest chapters is I, I knew a Canadian couple there, and, you know, kids... Kids died a lot. The infant mortality rate was very high in Liberia, um, but a but a lot of them did fine. And we had a Canadian couple there who had a, an 18 month old baby in Burkina Faso who died of meningitis while I was there. And so I pretty much made up my mind if 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 we did go back, I I was I would have my kids in the United States and probably not take them back until they were five if I did. Okay. So, so your sons have traveled with you, though? Yes. Our son, we, they have not been to Africa, but we've taken them to Australia, New Zealand. They've been all over Europe. So they've got the travel bug, too. My son has taught English in Korea. So. Okay. That would be my next question now. You know, since you've done all of this roaming around, you know, if your sons came to you and said, you know, hey, Mom, I think I kind of want to do this Peace Corps thing, and, you know, would you be receptive to it, or would be that parental kind of nag kick in for you? Oh. I'm, I, I mean, how can I tell my kids they can't join the Peace Corps when I'm about to join the Peace Corps? <laughs> no, I, I've always encouraged my kids to go out and discover themselves, discover their world, and do it, you know, become global citizens because it's important. So absolutely not. I would be completely supportive of that. Although I am learning that how frustrating it is when your kids get to be 29 years old and they're still not married and they're still not thinking about it. And I'm dying to be a grandparent and it's, not even on the horizon, so. Uh, well, you know, they're like, Mom, there's some exploring I've got to do. And, you know, it's going to be hard yeah. to be a grandma while you're in Tonga and, you know, they're well, off right. in, and, you, you know, know Africa. So it's Right. <laughs> we know that there are no weddings, no grandkids on the horizon. So we figure we've got this little two-year window where we better go out and do this if we're going to do it. <laughs> awesome family. Awesome. Now, your book, in, in the Belly of the Elephant, um, you made sure that was kind of chronicling your um, – your time period in Africa, is there a reason why you just chose that particular time frame? Well, yeah. I mean, I would say that 
the five years I was in Africa were probably the most challenging and the most formative. It, mm-hmm. it really, in that way, it's a coming of age story. Okay. That they 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 are they made me who I am now. Now I I loved having children and being you know being married and coming back and having children has been incredibly wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason I loved that so much is that I did go go through all that growing up when it was when I was in my twenties. And I wanted to people to I wanted to share my story. Mm-hmm. So you come back from those you've probably done is you come back from an incredible experience, an incredible trip, and people say, How was it? <laughs> and if you can't tell them in ten words or less, you can see the eyes kind of glaze over. It's it's just impossible to convey what you've gone through. So I decided I had to write about it. Mm-hmm. And it while I was writing about it, I not only told my story for my family and my friends and whoever else would want to read it, but it, it helped me understand what happened to me. You know, in a way that you can only understand, you know, ten, fifteen years later in retrospect. Mm-hmm. So that now, was another journey. Okay. Now why the title though, In the Belly of the Elephant? Well, um, what I've done throughout the story, one of the most incredible things about Africa, the, the people there are amazing. The culture is so rich, and mm-hmm. part of the richness of the culture are the stories that they tell. So that there, there's lots of myths and legend and, and proverbs and, and sayings on all of the money buses and on all, over all the doorways. It's, it's so much a part of their culture that I decided to truly tell the story, I'd have to have some of those stories in there. So there is a, a very famous story in Africa about a woman who gets swallowed by an elephant. It's like, it's, you know, it's the same Jonah in the whale sort of okay. theme. Okay. So it's a woman who loses her two, her two children wander off. She goes looking for them, and she runs into an elephant with one tusk who swallows her. And it's the story of her journey through the elephant. So I use that myth as a parallel to my story as I go through Africa. Okay, Susan's personal personal journey. Okay, I got it. Personal journey through the belly of the elephant. So that's why I chose that title. Cool, cool. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about In the Belly of the Elephant. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. I'm Lana Reed, and today I'm hanging out with Susan Corbett. She's the author of the book, In the Belly of the Elephant, um, chronicles her time in Africa. Now, um, Susan, in this book, you say that you escaped death quite a few times. Um, can you give us a few stories? Yeah. Uh, the first well, I, 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 you'll see in the book, death is always with a capital D. It's actually almost a character in the book mm-hmm. because it really was one of the things that I had never learned before. I mean, I had never been exposed to before. So the first time was um, while I was a Peace Corps in Liberia, I worked in a clinic. And um, the, the prologue actually tells the story of the day a, a woman came in with her little girl and this was an under five clinic, and the women would come from miles around, so it would take several hours in the morning for them all to gather. And the little girl came and just laid down next to her mother, 
and you know you don't do triage there and and people we we just assumed they had come for their shots and to see the doctor and to make sure everybody was okay mm-hmm. so about halfway through clinic a couple hours later the little girl collapsed and the woman started screaming and we ran over and it was a little girl with cerebral malaria. We didn't even know she had malaria. Mm. She died right there, and I, I did not knowing what to do, I tried CPR. I, you know, I tried to bring her back, and she died in my arms. And it was my first time experiencing death, and it was very hard, mm-hmm. very hard. A lot of so, things made Susan grow up really quick over there. Yeah, yeah, a lot of things. So, oh. Wow. So it still, it still touches you. I can hear it. Oh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, and then when I went to Burkina, there's, there was one part where um, a, a bad flood came through and completely wiped out an entire village. And all of their cattle were destroyed and their homes and their whole livelihood. And in those kinds of situations, especially in a place like Burkina Faso, there, there are very few resources. Water is very difficult. It's desert. Mm-hmm. And I write about how death is always kind of hanging around. Okay. And in places like that where where the water came through, like the, in the beginning of the rainy season, you, you're always afraid of typhoid. You're afraid of cholera. People, and every, every year there were meningitis outbreaks. So it was something that was always there, not necessarily for me personally, even though, you know, the hospital's away, but I, I knew I could always get on an airplane and be medevaced if okay. I got really sick. But And then, like I said before, I, I knew a couple whose child died one of the one of the winters where we call it winter when the Harmattan winds came through. Mm-hmm. And that was another time. And they were, the hard part was they were often children. Mm. So that was um, so that was that's that's a theme of my book because that was the thing that probably changed me and affected me the, the most. Oh, okay, understood. Um, just curious, in the Peace Corps, when you're going over to these different countries, um, how large is the team? I mean, how many other Americans were there with you, or how many other people in the Peace Corps were there with you? Yeah, well, it depends on the country. And, of course, this was 1976, and Peace Corps is very different now. It's, it's kind of interesting. I can compare the, the two situations. Back then, um, I went over with a group of about 20 people, okay. and we were all health volunteers. But Liberia, even though it's a very small country, because they're a very good friend of the United States, um, I think we, there were over 100 volunteers in that oh. very tiny country, yeah. They had agricultural volunteers, health, and education. So we were all over the place. Now, in Tonga this time, um, there are only 30 volunteers in the whole country of Tonga, and we'll be going over with a group of 15. Okay. So each country is different, you know, depending on how many people the government wants, what the country's needs are. Yeah. But you never go alone. You always go with with some kind of a group. Okay. They very quickly become your family. Okay. Yeah, we're, I, I can assume the experiences and the day-to-day, you know, um, struggles that you have to go through, that creates a certain kind of bond um, in itself. You know, it's yeah. just automatic. If I have to, you know, work for water, I have to work for food, I have to, you know, uh, 
do these on, on a day-to-day basis with this person next to me, I mean, I, I think that creates some unique uh, relationships between uh, not only the people there, but the people that are um, that, that are from the country, but the people that you're there rolling up your sleeves and trying to do the volunteering with. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And, and those are the people when you come back, you can talk to, and they get it. You know, they understand why why you're so depressed when you get home. I mean, many volunteers, when they come home, get really depressed because it's such a, a sh- it, it's actually harder to come back than it is to go. Mm. You know you're going to a different place when you go, and it's exciting, and it's new, and you have a job, and you're working, and you get used to it, and you've learned the language, and then coming home, and then you're there for two years. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you, you're changed in very profound ways. And then you come home and you're trying to get people to understand how profoundly you've changed. And they still see you as the person who you were when you left. Okay. So it's very difficult to to kind of come back to that and to, there is so much here compared to where you, you're coming from that it's overwhelming. And, I mean, so there's no... You're going you... like, yay, I'm home. But on the other hand, it's like, oh my God. So there's no, you know, two two years over in minimal um, resources, you don't come back to America and say, yes, there's a TV with a remote, and oh, there's a McDonald's on the corner, and yes, I can drive. I mean, there's no, uh, oh, yeah. there's no. <laughs> no, the best part was the ATM machine. Okay. Boy, in Africa, it takes you four hours to get any money. And to be able to walk up to a little hole in the wall and punch a bunch of buttons and get money <laughs> was incredible. But, yeah, of course, it's, you know, it is wonderful to come back to the conveniences, but it, what's hard, I think, is stopping and knowing how happy you can be with so little and coming back and find, seeing people who have so much, yet they're still not happy. Yes. Still not okay. satisfied. It's I hard can. to come to terms with that. I can understand. I mean, and we do, we do have excess, um, even though, you know, we don't feel like it sometimes, but here in America, we do have a lot of excess and, um, you know, the appreciation level can be kind of minimal uh, for us, for some of us. Right. Well, and it takes, it's like, it, it takes leaving home to truly understand it, to truly appreciate what you've got. Sometimes you have to leave home and then come back again. Yes, yes. And that's, that's what we got there. So, now, there's another thing, a topic, issue in your book that I, I really admire your your courage for. You're very open. You're very honest about your sexual relations while you were out there. Um, how did that impact your relationship with Steve when you came back? Well, <laughs> he he um he read my book when I, he read the first draft of my book, and um, he said, "Oh." But you know, we were thirty-two. He he had been he had a history too, and he had his spirit. He he's he's a good guy. He he understands. He knows I love him, and he knows I've been out there and I had a chance to do all kinds of stuff. And I came back and I chose him. So he's okay. fine with it. No, you know what's interesting is my boys. When my boys have read the book, my oldest son came back and he goes, "Mom, you were really messed up over there." <laughs> I said, well, you know, some of us take some of us a while to grow up. <laughs> you know, I was footloose and fancy free, just, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you know you're isolated, and it's lonely. 
So, yeah. um, kind of the story, the song, Love the One You're With. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that sort of, sort of helps sometimes, but you know. I mean, and I guess so you also, on that you, subject. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're in an environment with some like-minded people who are out there thinking they can change the world and, you know, that in itself creates a certain kind of chemistry and, you know, uh, exactly. but I, I, yeah, I could assume, you know, for, you know, the sons, it'd be like, oh, mom, really? Like, come really? on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they've grown up with me, so they kind of, they were kind of ready for it. So okay. I'm the kind, okay. I'm the parent who's been talking to my kids about using condoms since they were in middle school. And so <laughs> it, it was no huge surprise to them. Okay. Okay. Now, you also <laughs> mentioned in your book, um, I think I read something about uh, like a conversation you'd had with your dad, you know, while you were over there or something. And, and, and I think it kind of relayed the message that the way your dad thought about what was going on internationally was was very different than the reality. Like he he didn't understand certain things or did I get that wrong or? Well, I think the the, the initial part of it was. Well, you know, I grew up in Idaho. Idaho is a very conservative state. Mm-hmm. Um, and my Mormon, the Mormon side of my family, I mean, this was when, back when the Mormon religion still taught that black people were direct descendants of Cain. Okay. okay. So when I told my family, my extended family, all my father's aunts, all my aunts and uncles, my father's sisters and brothers, that I was joining the Peace Corps and I was going to Africa, it was a real disconnect for them. They, and they really literally said to me, what do you want to go over there and work with all those black people for? Okay. okay. And that, that was, and in Idaho, you know, I mean, our town had one black family. It, they, it was just sort of a lack of, of being out in the world and understanding what was going on that I just had, I had to go and find out for myself. Mm-hmm. And I, and I knew that, that I didn't want to believe that. Mm-hmm. So I, I came from a very conservative background and so my letters back home to them were you know, they were eye-opening for them. And, of course, my dad, he was one of those fathers who said, you know, if you get pregnant, don't come home, kind of thing, thinking that if he, you know, threatened us enough, of course we wouldn't get pregnant. So it, it was just a, <laughs> it was a, it was a long journey to educate my dad. You know, but by the time I got back, he, he lived with me the last couple of years. He lived to be 92 years old. Oh. the last couple of years of his life and while he was living with me I went back to Uganda to do AIDS education and he looked at me one day and he said honey you've just got to follow your dreams and he he got it in the end awesome awesome so, you know I just kept at him and I wouldn't put up with any of the, the comments and and it, it you know it was an education for him and for me Awesome. You know, and I think what's more amazing, though, to listen to you talk is, you know, coming from, you know, that type of background and upbringing that you knew that I'm still going to be open minded and go out and explore the differences in people and what um, that that value that 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 can add to my life. You know, Um, Mm -hmm, because sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, what we grow up in is what we know and what we accept and believe to be true. So, you know, that that spirit within you that you had to say, no, there's. It, there's there's something to this. I'm gonna go out and see what this is about. That that right. in itself is commendable. Right. That is commendable. And I had been to college. You know, I had I had been to Southern California. I had been away from home enough to know that there were other things. There were other ways to think, and that awesome. that's not how I wanted to 
draw. I mean, awesome. that's not what, yeah. Awesome. We're going to take our last commercial break of the day, Susan, so hang in there with me. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. I'm your host, Lana Reed, and today I am with the author of the book, In the Belly of the Elephant, Miss uh, Susan Corbett. Now, Susan, uh, this book, In the Belly of the Elephant, of course, that is your um, time in Africa, but, uh, and you say you came back to the United States, I think, what, 1982? Yes. Okay, so um, just real quick before, what work did you, I think you landed in San Diego. What kind of work were you doing for the community um, uh, in San Diego once you came stateside? Uh, once, we, uh, once I got married and we moved to San Diego, I worked um, training staff who worked with uh, runaway kids in, in okay. drug and alcohol prevention. Okay, okay. So you are dedicated for life, the community service, volunteer, giving back person. Yes, although I didn't always volunteer. I did have to make some, you know, a living, so I was employed a good uh-huh. por- a good portion of that. But, yes, um, I've always worked in nonprofits okay. and social service. Um, I guess it, it started with Peace Corps, and it just felt like it was the right way to go. Okay, okay. Yeah, now, after, my after, you know, you build on your experience, so. Yeah. Now, after San Diego, you guys moved on to Colorado. What What took you guys there? Well, having grown up in Idaho, I really missed the seasons. I missed the mountains. So we spent a lot of time driving all over the West over several summers, and we ended up in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. Which Boulder's nice. Wonderful climate, lots of mountains, and wonderful people. So we're happy here. Okay. So there's a lot of time that passed. So, you know, you've gone to Africa, you've come back, you've done San Diego, you've done uh, Colorado. So a lot of time has passed between your experience in, in Africa. Um, what, why did you, why did you sit down and write down the book when you wrote it? Not, why not earlier? Um, well, so yeah, I started writing the book in 1992. So I'd been home for 10 years. Um, I admit possibly I wasn't ready to write it yet. I was I was working full time and having babies, which you know takes a lot of time. Yes, indeed. Um, and um, when we moved to Colorado, I got a job building uh, was a federally funded job to help build healthy communities. So I was driving some guy around the county, and my kids were 18 months and four years old, and my husband was working full time, and I was complaining to this guy how I thought never saw my kids and here we are driving around giving he was giving speeches on how to have a healthy you know how to build healthy families and he looks at me and says you know what's wrong with this picture <laughs> so I, <laughs> I said oh yeah okay so I decided to um, take some time off uh, spend more time with my family and knew that I needed to do something you know I'm not the kind of person who can kind of hang out at home I mean I loved my kids and I was having a great time but I probably would have gone crazy if that's all I did so <laughs> I decided to write I, I've I, I've always kept journal I, I kept journals the whole time I was there very detailed journals I was one of those little kids who kept diaries so I've always written mm-hmm. never with the idea that oh someday I'm going to write a book but I really at that point I had enough perspective. I'd been back long enough. 
I got out all my journals and I just decided I really wanted to share my story. So I started writing and it took me 10 years to write it. 10 years? Well, I was, I was raising my kids. I was still working in the community. I've always volunteered. I've always been on board the directors for nonprofits. Okay. So I never stopped working. I just stopped getting paid for it. <laughs> and, you know, it was on my own schedule. <laughs> and so I was only writing probably a couple hours a day. But it, it took me a long time. Ten years. Okay. You know, well, we're glad it's here. So now, since you did this one, is there another one in the make? Well, not another memoir. Those are hard, you know. They're, <laughs> memoirs are hard. They really, you, you kind of take your guts and you put them out there for the whole world to see. And I, I wanted to do that, and that was the story I wanted to tell. So now I'm writing a mystery series. Oh, well, yeah, that's a twist. So I, yeah, it's, well, you know, it's it's less personal, it's easier to write, and it, it's still about me, you know. I mean, it's, it's still kind of autobiographical, <laughs> autobiographical, but it's going to take place in a lot of different countries. So it's still about travel, it's still about discovering cultures, language, but it's a, about solving local historical mysteries that have been that have never been solved before with a group of friends of, of older women friends. So we'll see, you know. But I'm having a ball. I'm really having a good time writing it. So that's as, as, we should, as we should. So we're going to uh, top that off while we're um, in Tonga uh, doing your piece. Right. Okay. So yeah, let me no, ask you this. So I'll write my second mystery. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you. So, you know, you and Steve have Tonga on the plate. You know, we know that we're doing this for the next two years. Uh, so we'll come back to Colorado and settle down and, and sit on the porch. Or is there more adventures after that? Oh, you know, that's hard to tell. And hopefully at that point, my kids will be better than I was. And hopefully I'll have some grandkids on the horizon. We know someday if we do have grandkids, we're going to be, we're going to want to be close to them. But you know what? I think we are going to travel for as long as we can. And I know I'll always volunteer. I mean, one of the things, you know, getting older, I'm 62. I still want to be useful. I still want to be out in my community. I'm never going to be sitting on the porch. Mm-hmm. You know, now and then I will be, but I'm always going to be out there doing something, I oh. hope. Oh. And, and we hope so, too. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you now dr- just you know? packing up the grandkids and, like, you know, we're going to go, you know, get on the plane here. And, you know, the sons are like, Ma, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure they'll come with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you've mentioned you mentioned grandkids a few times throughout this interview. Your your sons are like, okay, if she comes at me and tells me this one, ask me one more time about some grandkids. Are they sick of the conversation? Oh, hey, I, they aren't even married yet. I can't even. <laughs> I can't do that. I, I know it's it's too soon, you know. So I'm, I really do my. I don't come at them about grandkids. I come at them about, oh, you you, you going out with anybody <laughs> lately? You know. But I, you know, I do my best. <laughs> not to not to interfere too much. So I don't know. They they may they may be relieved when we get on the plane to go to Tonga. We'll see. <laughs> so look, they're gonna leave us alone for two years at least. No, but you'd probably be there with your Skype and like, you know anybody? You know that nice girl I saw the other day? Did you take her out? <laughs> yeah. Do you have any pictures? So, <laughs> too cute. That's true. Too, that's true. They too. won't get too far away from us. <laughs> Do you? So let me ask you this. Now, your time with the Peace Corps and, and everything, is it something that you recommend everybody or experience, or is it really just something for a unique individual? Oh, I, if, 
if you can leave your comfort zone and are willing to go out and see the world and try to discover who you really are, I recommend the Peace Corps for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's but it's not that you, you know they say it's the hardest job you'll ever love, and that is completely true. It's okay. not easy. It's tough, but it was. It is so worthwhile. It is a truly a, an incredible experience, and it's a safe way to see the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's got a lot of so, support, you know. So, so th- there's a lot of checks and balances in the Peace Corps to make sure, you know, even though you're out there in the grit of things, there's, you know, you're still pretty much safe and protected. Yes, yes. You've oh. got health care. You've got your local embassy. We're looking out for you. You you know, if anything happens, they get you out of there as quickly as possible. So you're, they don't just throw you out there and, and say, hey, see you in two years. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're very supportive. Okay. So it, awesome. it's kind of the best of, of all possible worlds. You want to go out and experience life in a different culture and in a different country, which I would highly recommend for everybody. Now, I know one of the things that I struggle with, you know, uh, being a person who has traveled, you know, you come back to to the States and you encounter people who have never stepped foot out of, like, their city or their hometown. And I found that it's very hard for me to mentally relate to people like that. Do you struggle yourself with people who have never been out of their their area? I struggle with them only if, hmm, well, yes, sure, you know, I'm, <laughs> I try to, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, I guess, yeah, I only struggle when they, when they hold the kind of views that they want to force on everyone else gotcha, based gotcha. on their lives. Mm-hmm. Without really, I feel, without really understanding what's going on in the world, and that's what makes it tough. Yes, very difficult. So I've learned, I've learned sometimes I just have to not say anything, which is really hard for me. (laughs) 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 Too cute. Too cute. So, Susan, tell us, how do we pick up a copy of In the Belly of the Elephant? Just go to Amazon. And you can get either an ebook or you can get a, a paperback book. Okay. So, um, and I think there's a big sale going on right now. So get in on there and buy my book. Awesome, awesome. Now, your website, uh, SusanCorbettBooks.com, I noticed that you have a blog. So when you and Steve go off to Tunga, we'll be able to see pictures of what you guys are doing over there or how absolutely, do we connect with absolutely. or Absolutely, yes. I'm going to have a blog, and I'll, I'll, I will hook it up through my website. And I think I probably will also have a link through the Peace Corps. So, but, yes, it will be on my website. So I do look forward to doing that blog. Yeah. Okay. So we'll have a way to keep in touch with you and see what you guys are doing over there and uh, be uh, on the lookout for this grandmother potential that you are strongly <laughs> wishing for. <laughs> All right, Susan, we are at the end of the hour today. I have truly enjoyed you. My guest has been Susan Corbett. Please visit her website, SusanCorbettBooks.com. And as I said, that's all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I will see you all next week. Thank you.